In the here and now, I see the good growing everywhere like fields of wildflowers. And though the past is gone, brokenness lingers like a ghost in the house of my soul. Still, my hope for the future lies in the scarred hands of my Redeemer, the one who is making all things whole and all things new. The good, the broken, the future. When I look with him, I see them all. I see with mature love. I see all three, always commingled. It is so good to see you here today, and it is so good to see you here today too. I'm glad we're all here together in this space, even if we're not physically in the same space together. The idea that mentally and emotionally and spiritually we're joined together in a similar space is pretty amazing and pretty great. And so I'm grateful for you today and grateful to see you and to see this construction going on here in this room, which is very exciting. It's exciting to have new things going on. I also want to just say a special thank you to everyone who puts time and energy into creating this worship time that we do on Sundays together. If you know anything about music, you know that they don't just like get up here on stage and it just magically happens. It takes planning and practice and thought. And so I appreciate that. A little while ago, I had to show up here on a Sunday two hours early. And when I got here two hours early, they were already on stage practicing. And I was like, what? It's two hours and they already got, how early did they actually get here? It's early. Like, I think they get here at like three o'clock in the morning to start practicing. Well, maybe not that early, but it's early. It's early. Now, let me also say this. Every Sunday recently, well, not every Sunday, past few Sundays, we've been having a special thing called the Kids Corner, where after our worship time, the kids can have a, a minute to kind of keep uh, apart a little bit, but to have a special time since we're not doing their classes right now. Now, last week, I was in charge of the Kids Corner, and that was a very dangerous thing to have happened. And the reason that was dangerous is because on that very day, in the lesson, Pastor Melody was talking, and she shared some nicknames for Pastor Benjamin that those kids had come up with. So, not to waste an opportunity, I did the same thing for Pastor Melody. Yes, yes, vengeance is sweet, Benjamin is thinking right now. Now, I wanted to get to 10 so I could do a top 10 list, but alas, I only made it to 9. So this is a top 9 list. Top 9 nicknames for Pastor Melody as created by the E-Kids at this church. Number 10, Mel Mel. Number 2, or number 9, Mellow. Number 8, Mellow Yellow. Number seven, Melly. Number six, I think I'm off on my numbering here. Melun, pretty good. Let me go to number four, Watermelon. Yeah. Number, I don't know what my numbers are here. Number three, Mellow Lello, which I guess was a version of Mellow Yellow. 
Number two, Marshmallow. And the number one nickname for Pastor Melody, as come up with by our e-kids, Harmony. I like that one. I like that one. Okay, we're in the midst of a series. And it's a series with a weird word. Oh, you know what? We need to do one more thing. We need to do a memory verse. We've got a memory verse for our young people that our, our young people are learning, and you can learn it right along with them. Let's put it up on the screen. Uh, it is Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Let's do it together, everyone. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And that is an expression of our series here called commingled, which is a weird word. Like if you were like, is this a word everybody knows but me? No. No one knew this word before we started this series. It's a weird word. So in case you've been wondering, Pastor Benjamin, Pastor Benjamin defined it in the first lesson, but in case last week you got confused, I want to put it back on the screen. What this word commingled means. It's different things mixed together at the same time. Pastor Benjamin used the analogy of a salad. With a salad, everything is commingled. It's all these things mixed together at the same time, but you still experience it as a salad. You don't say it's a lettuce, tomato, carrot, ranch thing. You say it's a salad. So even though there are many different things in it, it is still one. And we're talking about how that is the nature of life, of existence. We kind of in our hearts are absolutists. We would love for it to be one thing. So we could kind of wrap our arms around that and get real comfortable and say, this is life right here. But no, the moment we do that, it all explodes in our faces. And it becomes all these other things that we couldn't control or wouldn't have chosen. Now, last week, Pastor Melody talked about the good. So in that salad of life, there are things that are really good. And she talked about how we need to look for the good and find the good. And even when things are difficult or bad, there are still things to celebrate and rejoice and be thankful and grateful for. And that God calls us to do that, to find the good, even when things are difficult. But today, we're going to talk about the broken broken. Because in that commingling of life, not everything is good. Some things are broken. Now, it's interesting, we're not using the word that normally we would use as the opposite of good, which is bad. We're not using that word. In fact, it was interesting in our family, we realized that a long time ago when we would sit at dinner and we would get to the end of the day, we would ask everyone in our family at the dinner table to say, tell us about your happiest and your saddest today. What was the happiest thing that happened to you? And what was the saddest thing that happened to you? We didn't say, what was the best thing that happened to you? And what was the worst thing? And one of the reasons we did that is because my wife and I realized years ago that all of us are too stupid to know what the difference is between the good things and the bad things. Sometimes the things that we think are the really good things actually turn out to be bad things. And sometimes the things that we think are really bad things turn out to be things that are super fragile, fragilistic, expialidocious, good. And 
We all the time can't tell the difference between the two. But we can acknowledge how those things make us feel. How we feel and how we engage with those realities. And so today I want to ask you a question as we start here. And your answer to this question can be anything. Anything. In your life and all the doing that you're doing right now, how are you feeling? How are you feeling today? How's your heart right now? And any answer is okay. It's all right. That's okay. However you walked into this room today, it's fine. Because whether you're celebrating the good or whether you're feeling the brokenness, it all belongs. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the writer here talks about this concept, this idea in depth. In fact, goes on at length about it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, there is a time for everything. There is a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, maybe in your life you've not done much scattering of stones and gathering them back together. Maybe that's not much of your life on that list. But I would suspect that nearly everything else on that list you have experienced, you have felt. In fact, I didn't even realize until I went back to this verse the irony of reading right now, a time to embrace and a time to refrain. Huh. I was like, when I read that earlier in my life, I'm like, well, when would that possibly be? We should always embrace. Well, <laughs> this is a weird moment, isn't it? Where maybe we, it's a time to refrain from embracing. The truth holds that there are different times for different things. And all of them belong. Now, what I want to talk about today is how we can get better at being sad. How can we do a better job of being sad? Now, that may be a weird thing for you to hear me say, because you're like, well, that's silly, Brett. I mean, why would we overanalyze sadness? Sadness is just sadness. Being sad about brokenness, it just is what it is. I just feel it, and it is, right? There is no point in overanalyzing this. Well, for you to say that to me is for you not to know me very well. 
because I, on the Enneagram, and an Enneagram 4 with a three wing, which means that I am a gold Olympic medalist in mourning. I have so many gold medals because my achievement at mourning is super high. I'm really good at it. And in case you were wondering whether mourning is an Olympic sport that we do in the winter or the summer, it's both. It's both. Now, I, I want to talk through this for a minute because I think even though we might say to ourselves there's not much to talk about here, there's actually a good bit. Because the first question is, what are we mourning? What do we mourn? What is the brokenness that we are looking at that we should take time and energy to mourn? Now, it's interesting to talk about this because let's, I want to go over to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus, this is the famous beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we call it the Beatitudes. And I want to read these Beatitudes here. And what's interesting about them is Jesus is talking about how to live a life that is blessed. A life that is blessed, that's full of good things. That's a life that, if you look at the literal translation of this word blessed, is like a life that like the gods live. Like the kings would live of that time. How do you live a life like that? Now what's interesting as I read these off is I want you to notice that nearly everything he names about how to have a blessed life, they're not happy things. They're things that include pain and sadness and disconnection and hurt. That's an interesting irony in these words of Jesus. Now think about that as we read this. So this is Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read to verse 10. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we got poverty, mourning, hunger, and thirst, and we got persecuted, those are five top of my list things that I do not want to do particularly. I do not like any of those five things. Now, merciful meekness, that sounds all right. That sounds pretty pious and holy and all that. But these other things, no, persecution, I don't really want that particularly. I don't want hunger and thirst. Those feelings are not my favorite. But Jesus is calling us to that place. Now, this is interesting, particularly this verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, who those who mourn. What do you think he's suggesting here that we should mourn? What is mournable? Now, you might mourn if your favorite team in sports loses a game. You might be sad about that. Is that what Jesus means here? I don't think that's what he means. I think he's talking about bigger 
things. Now, I think, first of all, he's talking about things that you should mourn that have to do with your own life, that have to do with you, and things that happen to you. There are things worth mourning. There are losses that we have in life. There are deaths. There are separations, disconnections, problems, things within our family, with our parents and our children, things with our finances and our health. There are personal losses. And Jesus mourned personal losses himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was about to die, as he's praying to God, he shed tears as if they, he had sweat and he had tears. Tremendous suffering about what he would go through in that moment personally. But then there are also moments in the life of Jesus, whereas in Matthew 9, he looked across a crowd of people and saw their hurt and their pain and their difficulties, and he was moved with compassion. He mourned. He mourned for others, for the world around him as he saw it, and the brokenness that he saw in it, and it moved him to compassion. The sadness affected his heart, changed the way he saw. Why did that happen? Because he stopped, and he looked, and he saw, and he felt. And he allowed himself to feel it. And when he felt it, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. So we can mourn for ourselves, and we can mourn for others. But then the question becomes, how? How do we become better at being sad? When we're sad, how do we do it better? And you may say, well, how could this be a skill? Well, I told you already, I believe that it is. I believe you could win a gold medal in it too. Well, maybe silver, maybe bronze, it's okay. You may be on a, on a personality type that you won't be as good at this, but that's okay, that's okay. You can be great at it too. I don't know why I said that, that was kind of mean. I take it back. Now, you can experience in your life, it is possible for you to experience pain and sorrow and sadness but actually never mourn. That's possible. Now you may not have realized that was possible. You may say, well, if I'm sad, like really sad, I'm going to mourn, right? But not necessarily. The one doesn't lead to the other. Because what is mourning? Mourning is really stopping, as Jesus did, and sitting in something, and examining it, and truly feeling it, and thinking and considering it. So you can mourn. But there's another alternative. There's another thing you could do instead of mourning when you feel sad. You could mourn or you could medicate. You could medicate. Now what do I mean when I, when I say that? That may be a strange word to you when you talk about emotions. You know how to medicate your body. When you have a headache, you can choose to sit with that headache. Let's just say it's a normal headache that all of us get from time to time. You could sit with that headache 
And you could just say, well, in a couple of hours, this is probably going to go away. I'm just going to sit with it. Or instead, you could do what? What could you do instead? Somebody. What could you do instead? Yes, sir. Take a pill. You could take a pill. That's exactly right. You could take a Tylenol or an Excedrin or an Advil or a whatever. I don't even know what all the things we have now that are medications. And here's what will happen. You will take that pill, and will the headache go away medically? Not exactly. But you won't feel it anymore. You won't feel it anymore. The pain will sort of be lessened for you. And you won't have to suffer as much as you might have otherwise. Now, you may not have realized it before, but you can do the same thing with your emotions. You can do the same thing with your heart. Because when you feel pain, when I feel pain, my first inclination is to say, I don't like this. I don't particularly want to feel this anymore. What could I do to make this pain go away? To not feel the pain anymore? And we have all learned over time different things that work for us that make that go away. Food. For some of us, food lessens the pain. For some of us, we just sit down and say, let's find a Netflix show that I can just binge and kind of escape this for a little while. There are things you can do, whether it's alcohol or drugs or other things that do make your body feel good that can become escapes from that emotional pain. You don't have to feel it. And the next day when you wake up, that emotional pain will be a lot less. And you just saved yourself a lot of pain because you didn't have to experience it. Now, you can do the same thing, not just with your own difficulties, but you can do it with things going on in the world as well. You can hear a story from a friend. You can find out that one of your friends is going through a difficulty. You could do one of two things. You can step forward into that space with them and say, I know this is hard. I know this is difficult, but I'm choosing to enter this space with you to listen, to care, to acknowledge, to be with you in this, even though it hurts me to do it. You can mourn with them. Or you can medicate, which is just to say, you know what? I think I just am going to take a painkiller on this one. I think while my friend is mourning, I'll send them a quick text message that says, sorry, but I got a Netflix show to watch. I got to sit here and relax. I'm just going to sit in the pool and work on my tan for a little while today. Now, all of that can be medication. And what can happen to us without realizing it over time is that we, by default, just check out. And we medicate our emotions rather than feeling them. And rather than mourning the brokenness in our own lives and in the lives of others and engaging it and allowing it to inspire us to growth and to maturity, we can instead just check out. 
Now, I would challenge you, as I am challenging myself today, to next time you experience some pain or sadness in your life, to watch what you instinctively do. What do you instinctively do? Do you instinctively say to yourself, how can I avoid this? How can I feel better right now so that I don't have to feel this anymore? I don't like this. Or when you experience that discomfort and pain in your own life or in the life of someone else, you say, how do I engage with it more fully? How do I be more present? Now, how do we do that? What is the solution to that? Today, I want to present one solution, one thought about that, that I think Jesus did so expertly in his life. Uh, when I was younger, I think when I was a teenager, the movie Dead Poets Society came out. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. If you haven't seen this movie, as soon as we're done here, go home and watch Dead Poets Society. It's a great movie. Well, there was a Latin phrase in that movie that became popular after that movie was released. That Latin phrase is carpe diem. Carpe diem. Are you with me, Eli? I'm going to need you in a second. You ready? Okay. That word is carpe diem. Now, we know the translation of it. In fact, the translation of it was in another movie that many of our kids enjoy that's a musical called Newsies. And Newsies has a song that is entitled this translation, and the name of this song is, this is the moment to seize the day. Seize the day. In fact, Eli believes in it so strongly that I realized this morning he has a journal with him. Where's your journal? Where's your journal? What does it say on the cover, Eli? Now is the time to seize the day. Right on his journal over there. We embrace that idea and understand it when it comes to good things. When it comes to opportunities that are positive, things we like. Don't miss the beauty of life. That's what he says in Dead Poet Society. Don't miss it, boys. Suck the marrow out of life. Really experience it. Don't miss it. Now, mostly he's talking in that movie about the things we like, the good things. Don't be so zoned out that you miss all the wonder and beauty and love and compassion and connection that's available in the world. We say it today about our phones. Don't be so busy looking at Instagram that you miss the wonderful things going on around you. And I think that's a good philosophy. And it's an important philosophy. But I think the philosophy is also true about sad things, about broken things, about things that we don't like as much, that aren't as pretty. We don't really want to carpe diem that stuff. We'd like to just get through it as quickly as we can and figure out the solution for how we get back to the good feeling and the good stuff as quickly as possible. But spiritual maturity requires us in our own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world we live in 
to press into that brokenness and not just to endure it, but to seize the day, to seize the moment, to say this is a moment where I can learn, where I can grow, where I can help, and I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to lose sight of it. I don't want to medicate until it's over. I want to be in the heart of it, in the middle of it. And one of the things that I love so much about this church community is that so many of you, all of you, have amazing hearts for that. To run into the fire when everyone else is running out. But that is required. Not for us to be couch potatoes and figure out how we can just be comfortable and zone out and get to the next moment. But how we, together, as a community and as individuals, can see the brokenness, open our eyes so that we can see it, acknowledge it, feel it, seize it, and let it go down deep into our hearts in a way that stirs our compassion. Stirs our compassion as it did with Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed when you look at the life of Jesus, but I think one of the reasons why he lived so simply. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a lot of clothes. He didn't have a lot of money. He didn't have a boat. He didn't have a hot car. He didn't have a horse. He didn't have a bunch of business enterprises. He didn't have hardly any distractions. And I suspect in moments that I watch him, it's because he longed and desired to be present, to be fully present. And when you read the stories of Jesus, one of the things you'll notice is there's never a moment where he says, I'm sorry, could you say that again? I was looking at my phone. He's there. He's there. He's mentally, emotionally, physically present with every person he's with. And whether they come to him with joy or deep despair. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He wept. He wept when he even knew the good that was coming. But for us, our opportunity in this moment is to weep and then say, now it's time for resurrection. Now we will move into the brokenness and find where we, through the power of the Spirit of God living in our lives, can inspire and move resurrection. Because we don't stay in the brokenness. We allow the brokenness to show us the places that need our attention and our love and our compassion so that we can go there and bring healing. And next week, we're going to talk in this commingled world about how we look to the future. But in that discussion about the future, it is still and always about living with the good and the brokenness. Mixed together, commingled, believing that it all belongs and that it is all leading us to better, more beautiful, more whole spaces together. Band can come back up. And just in a minute, we're going to pray. 
And I hope that today, as you walk away, that you will, in your heart and in your mind, be thinking and open in your prayer and in your relationship with God for how you can invite God to take your brokenness and your difficult spaces and turn them into opportunities for maturity, for growth, and for you to make a positive impact in the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, we invite you into this space. We love you and we are grateful for all that you have done to make our lives beautiful and good. But we are also grateful that you are continuing to open our eyes to the brokenness within ourselves and in the world around us. Help us to be people of compassion and care that we would give of ourselves, that we would fully engage, that we would not medicate, but that we would be truly present and that we would mourn the brokenness that you show us and then be ambassadors of your love to bring light into dark spaces. We love you. We love each other. In Jesus' name.